the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. 11 major banks with a collective shipping portfolio worth over $100 billion will for the first time integrate climate considerations into lending decisions as part of a major new initiative launching today, which will incentivise the maritime sector's route to decarbonisation. Poseidon Principles, as they're known, are a new global framework for assessing and disclosing the climate alignment of financial institutions' shipping portfolios. With more banks expected to sign up to the principles imminently, including many of the major Chinese financiers, these principles represent a significant new driver towards the IMO's goal of reducing shipping's annual greenhouse gas emissions by at least 50% by 2050. They also promise to dramatically change the conversation between ship owners and banks, which are essentially looking to de-risk their portfolios in line with shipping's green transition. Let's be clear, this is not an overnight revolution, but it is a significant development likely to have consequences for most stakeholders in shipping today. This is the first time we've seen a sector-specific alignment of banking portfolios to climate goals, and the process of transparently measuring collective lending decisions against carbon reduction targets means that there is going to be a direct impact on the lender's decision-making from here on. In the words of one senior banker, Capital is only going to flow in the direction of those people making the right decisions. Joining me to discuss the implications of this rather unique and seismic initiative is one of the founding architects of the principles, Citibank's global head of shipping and logistics, Michael Parker. I think we have to recognise that the lenders to the shipping industry, shipping banks, have a big responsibility given they are the major the largest capital providers to the industry. And if you look back over the last 10 years and the billions of dollars lost by ship owners and banks as a result of the unnecessary uh, and rather free financing of the industry, I think we have a responsibility, given the role we play to this industry, to help our clients, and I stress help because this is very much a partnership with, with the industry, find a way of making sure that the capital invested in this industry goes towards efficient, clean shipping and no longer, as it did historically, towards speculative asset play or unnecessary capacity. I think the world is dealing with a climate change issue, but it's also dealing with trying to make sure that the investment that has an energy cost to it in terms of production is as efficient as possible and as productive as possible. So what we don't need is unnecessary capacity, but we don't need a shortage of capacity that leads to unnecessary high pricing. So getting that balance right, I think it's important that the banks, not only looking at the business decisions they make, take climate change into account. And and what we're doing is we're picking up on all the other threads that the society in, in general terms is bringing to bear both on investment through the whole ESG initiatives, what the UN has led through the Climate Change Council, and and when the IMO came out, as it was required to do by the Paris Agreement, to to show its commitment on behalf of the shipping industry, because shipping and aviation were kept out of that, it was a logical thing for us to say, look, we acknowledge the importance of this, and using 
the auspices of the Global Maritime Forum, I think this is very important. Without the Global Maritime Forum, of course, banks could have done this. But I think the creation of the Global Maritime Forum provided that support through the partnerships of that forum and the advisors, the expert advisors, to actually focus on this and the other initiatives the Global Maritime Forum is taking. So I think a sequence of events has enabled us to take this initiative. And the specifics of the initiatives are that the signatory banks are effectively committing to transparency at a portfolio level in terms of the amount of CO2 their portfolio is responsible for emitting. The idea being that as we progress towards 2050 and the IMO adjusts its trajectory in terms of measuring emissions, that you banks are being completely transparent about how much you are responsible for and you can make decisions accordingly. Is that about right? Yes, but I think what's important, um, uh, what I didn't say earlier, is we've used the equator principles as a sort of precedent of what banks The equator principles, just for the benefit of our listeners, are... They're a commitment by now 97 or 96 or 97 signatories from 37 different countries, and they're all financial institutions, to be responsible around project finance. But what they do is report transactions done in each year. They don't actually have a sort of target to which they're aiming. So it's, if you like, it's a a commitment to being responsible. What we're doing is taking that as an example of collective engagement by the industry and actually saying, we know this is going to get tougher. And I think what's important is for those people like you, Richard, who are a little bit sceptical about this, is we're taking what we can today. And what we can take today is we're using our secured portfolios, so you have ship mortgages which are transparently available if you go to a register. We're taking the trajectory from the IMO commitment to 2050, which is made up of several vessel trajectories, and we're taking the emissions that DCS system requires ship owners to provide through flag state to the IMO for the calendar year 19. So we're taking three pieces of information that we're either entitled to or have ourselves or available in theory publicly and using that to calculate calculate this alignment. So we're not, until the IMO came out with both its target in April 18 and also the DCS system, we would have been wrestling with what assumptions to be made. And in our in our drafting sessions there were people who argued we should use the estimated process and all the rest of it and I understand that and we've said very clearly in the principles they will evolve as the IMO comes out with better clearer and less you know the sort of VHS Betamax type debate I mean Mm. when there is an acceptable global standard of course the principles will evolve to that but Mm. I also feel that you know, the, the, the consumer in this case, if you like, the user, if you like, the ship owner, once they are required to provide those emissions, many people have told me they'll make them public themselves. So I think the issue of um, confidentiality that exists on the IMA database, the information belongs to the ship owner. If they choose to make that information public for their own commercial benefit, then then naturally things may move much faster in terms of coming up with different sets of metrics. But the key thing is the commitment by the signatories to align to the IMO. There are two important points I want to make. One is we've used the IMO because it's the global regulator. We're not stopping any individual signatory doing more things in line with their own domestic uh, regulatory agendas. So 
we've not included any targeting in the principles other than the 2050 target for the time being. If an institution individually wishes to have its own targets, there's nothing in the principles that stops them doing that. Mm. And I think the second thing is this is not exclusive. We want every serious shipping lender globally to sign to these principles. But the broad point here is that what we're seeing is transparency from here on. So decisions that are made from here on in terms of investment, in terms of where capital flows, there will be a significant change in the way that we can look at what impact that is having in terms of the alignment with 2050. We can see where the industry is heading in terms of efficiency and the greening of the assets. I think that's right. And I think that, you know, sometimes one starts on a journey, to use that ghastly expression, but one starts on a journey where sometimes you're not quite sure where you're heading. And I think one of the things that those of us involved in this have begun to recognize is that the implication for what we're doing could be more far-reaching than we probably realized mm. when we started. And that's fine. And we've come to terms with that. And I think you know, under questioning from people as we've gone through this, we, we, we recognize that. And when we've discussed that with owners, most but not all accept that. Mm. So I think that you know, in the decisions from now on, and this is very important, there's a lot of looking back in shipping. To mm. me, this is one of the things, let's not over, overblow it, but this is one of the things that could be transformational for how this industry is seen, mm. not just by the financial institutions, but also by society. And therefore, the industry, you know, having the self-confidence to engage. So we're helping, in our view, the industry recognise it has an important contribution to make around emissions. So no longer will the BBC report standing outside the IMO, isn't it terrible shipping has the same emissions as Germany? They'll actually be reporting, isn't it terrible Germany's emissions are as big as the global shipping industry and the global shipping industry is doing more about it than Germany. So it's about changing the way in which shipping is perceived. But what will happen from today is that the signatories will take into account the impact of financing on you know, the business they have. And I think one will begin to see that um, will begin to see that in particularly refinancing of older ships, second-hand financing. Yes, and that, and that is key. So we are talking about future decisions, but obviously we're talking about uh, a group of ship financiers that collectively are going to need to refinance the, refinance the existing portfolio. So you know, this is a question of assessing decisions that have already been made, but assessing the decisions that are yet to be made and being transparent about how that affects things. Now, arguably, the transparency is obviously a, right in, a step in the right direction. And... Uh, just by having that measure, we can see the progress one way or the other. The implication, of course, is that decisions based on that transparency have to head in the right direction. So could you perhaps give us a little flavour of, of how you see this influencing finance decisions from the signatories going forward? Well, each, each signatory is committed through signing the principles to make the calculation annually and to report that uh, both through their own sustainability reports but also through the Global Maritime Forum or through the Poseidon Principles Association website when, when all the signatories have come up with their calculations to report the alignment numbers. 
there's no question that as the IMO tightens its trajectories in 2023 or before or in the various processes until that point, that what is in alignment today may go out of alignment with those new trajectories. And mm. so what we are saying as signatories is each institution will have to make their own judgment about the business they're doing consistent with their own sustainability policies. Mm. Now, we're not reporting individual client or loan information. This is confidential in terms of that. It is a fact that individual institution signing may come under questioning if their portfolio is out of alignment consistently as to what they're actually doing about it. But that is a legitimate question. No. So, so I think we have to. I think it's important to understand that we know the trajectories will tighten. We know that what is aligned today may not be aligned tomorrow. But as facilities expire and mature. You know, alignment will come back into play. And I think what's also very key is that the greenhouse, the next fourth greenhouse gas emissions report, which is going to be informed out of the DCS system for 2019, of course, is going to help the IMO make the necessary decisions around revising those trajectories. Mm. And today, I think all the serious lenders in shipping, we've already, in a way, taken into account in our own individual policies, you know, the age of ships, the type of ships we finance. What this does is put an additional and, and in a way, more public um, overlay to that, that we accept the fact that both internally and externally, those decisions will be questioned in the context of this climate alignment. You're being deliberately cautious and um, understandably so, but a more journalistic reading of this would be the bank's transparency is effectively ensuring that capital will only flow in the direction of those prepared to make the right decisions. The right decisions being those in alignment with the 2050 trajectory. The implication of that, of course, is that ship owners and the industry generally looking for financing as they are today will effectively be locked out of financing. We are only going to be now as an industry, those signatories for the Poseidon principles, prepared to lend to those that are prepared to commit to green uh, assets. So the question is, you know, do you think that the notoriously squeezed middle of the shipping industry, you know, already having trouble getting access to finance in many respects, is effectively going to be priced out of the market when it comes to financing? Well, I think, you're, I think you start from deliberately, provocatively the wrong position. The job of shipping lenders is to get a decent return for the lender's own shareholders whilst helping our clients, you know, also earn a decent return. So the squeeze middle is a is a consequence of lots of different factors. What we want is a cleaner, more efficient industry. Many of us who've been around a long time also believe that other factors at play are more likely to lead to greater consolidation. So this isn't the issue that is going to squeeze the middle. The other important point is, although we are the major capital providers, there is plenty of other money that goes into shipping from other sources. And of course, it's more expensive. But isn't that the great thing, that finally capital for shipping is being priced in the same way that capital for any other industry is? And what this is about is the shipping industry regaining its important role in the industrial global economy in the way that other industries have done in the 20th century. So the the weaknesses of shipping, which many people in shipping 
enjoyed because it avoided scrutiny or it avoided regulation, whatever it did. This is coming into the open. And, and for the industry that, you know, whether it's 17 trillion, 19 trillion, whatever the global trade, physical global trade this industry delivers to the benefit of society, time to come out of the shadows and time for the people who are willing to invest, and I'll come back to that point in a minute, who are willing to invest in the necessary greener and you know, cleaner, if you like, shipping, the better. If that means people in the so-called squeeze middle can no longer afford to be the industry, that's a consequence of it. it, it it's hard to underestimate quite what a step change this is, though. This is something that we have not seen uh, in any other sector. This is the first, as far as we can tell, the, the first sector-specific banking alignment you know, with a global regulator. Um, I mean, this is huge. This is this is a game-changing decision on the part of the banks and the uh, industry partners with with which you launch, uh, of which there are several, very much all at the uh, the top end, the blue chip. Um, the intention, of course, being, I guess, that you get enough of a gravitational pull from those prepared to take a stand, and the rest of the industry follows by one way or the other. Well, I think the the you know the. the the unique aspect of shipping through the IMO being a UN body allows us to do this. And it was very important that because we're not following what the European Union, the US Coast Guard, any other national regulator who have their role in regulating shipping, but we're following you know, the UN body that regulates shipping through the IMO, the UN with the Sustainability Development Goals, the UN through the G20 Financial Stability Board work on the TCFD. This TCFD. is TCFD is to do with the transition of uh, businesses and banks' portfolios to the consequences of climate change, uh, and it's an important thing led by originally Mark Carney, who was then chairman of the Financial Stability Board, and Michael Bloomberg. And this is, you know, you'll see the accountants, you'll see the banking regulators today talking about this. Are businesses ready for the consequences? And this has a huge impact, not just for you know, the, 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 the strength of the business, but also in terms of you know, the equity value, if you like, of businesses. And so actually I see, you know, we talk about, the shipping press talks about you know, all the equity analysts you know, being stood down by banks and other people. This is probably the low point. I think you know, as a consequence of this and other things, shipping is going to become really investable as this transition takes place. We're mm. going to see significant investment coming in aimed at greener shipping. And what we're helping to do, if you like, is to set the guidelines, the rules around what that is, because then people are going to see we have to invest in this because global trade is going to grow by X, but it can't grow in terms of emissions. We want to invest in the technologies that are going to make that happen. Within the industry, people are going to say we want to consolidate, so we've got the economies of scale to continue to do that. Mm. Now, we know there's going to be this transition, and I think what's very important is that the people making the financial decisions, whether it's the equity decisions from the companies, whether it is the lending decisions from banks and others, that we focus very much on investing in those things that are consistent with the global regulator's commitment, which is consistent with the UN Climate Change Conference decision. If you think of what the UK government has just signed up to, it's actually much tougher than even what the IMO is doing. So this is not out of tune with society. Now, if other industries, 
And they have good reasons. The national borders interfere with a lot of other industries. But if shipping can set an example through what its primary capital providers are doing, isn't that great? Part of the issue is we as people in the shipping community have, have lived such an insular life for so long that sometimes we don't really realise the impact of certain things we're doing. What I'm hearing from the environmental NGOs we've worked with, and people like Lloyd's Register and other people, and Dr Tristan Smith, who's been very helpful in this whole process, is we are taking a big decision. And I hope that when we launch on Tuesday that that will get recognised by people like you. I think you as the leading shipping press you know, have a great opportunity to follow our journey, for want of for using that ghastly word. But I think it's very important that you help us, you keep us under pressure as we do this, uh, and that this isn't a meaningless statement. And I don't feel it is. I think that the, and the reason for that, I think, is the whole tone of sustainability, partly the UN Sustainable Development Goals, but also the whole thrust of ESG investment. So green today, half of it's not green. Now, ESG investors know that. And so we're really going to start refining for them what is truly going to be environmentally important, mm. etc. The important thing for shipping is that people understand there is a transition period. Two issues. One is ship owners invest in an asset with a reasonably long life. So unless you get international subsidy for scrapping, they've got to look to get a return on investment, which may have a shorter life. That will influence lending too. It will probably reduce leverage and, and lead to shorter payback periods. But that in itself will probably be a good thing because it will start to reduce overcapacity and start to reduce the risk that investors take too. So there is a transition. It's not the 2050 transition because we know that will come forward. But the next big issue, I think, where, where the financial community will be able to help is clearly going to be something like the carbon levy, where the carbon levy, if used by the industry with appropriate independent management, obviously, to kickstart or to accelerate the investment in technology and alternative fuels, then, then again, it won't be this long journey shipping tends to take on the regulatory front. It'll become a much more accelerated investable journey for you know infrastructure funds for equity and and so i think over the next two or three years the the the, the nature of the industry is going to go through a faster change than, than may have happened and this is just one of the one of the um, accelerators of that process i mean generally speaking green finance as applied to uh, shipping as opposed to most other sectors where it is growing we saw a couple of green bonds last year uh, with japanese companies but I mean, of limited um, scope, I think one was a scrubber, the other one was a propeller. We haven't really seen green bonds applied properly to shipping. I guess the question I'm, I'm, I'm sort of posing to you is, do you think that as a result of the Poseidon principles and the stance being taken by the signatories, that along with those positive decisions that you are encouraging through this process, we may see the top end of the industry rewarded with a, a carrot of capital relief, uh, you know, a, along the lines of green financing. Well, I, there are lots of sort of speculative strands. I mean, just just sort of to introduce the, the answer, the Climate Bond Initiative is currently working on deciding what for the shipping industry should qualify for you know, their approval. None of the existing, sorry, I shouldn't say none, the ones you've referred to would not 
yet. You know, scrubbers are not green in that sense. So mm. I think at the end of that process, which I'm sort of you know slightly involved in, uh, giving giving views on at least, is that that will be it's being informed. Put it this way: it is being informed by the Poseidon Principles process. So. Mm. So I think the discipline we're sharing as lenders will be deployed in terms of looking at what the capital markets should 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 entitle, be entitled to label as truly green. So I think by the end of this year, hopefully, that will be clear. So we'll have a global standard through the Climate Bond Initiative as to what is genuinely green, which is why things like the carbon levy become important, because if you're going to monetize that funds flow and raise capital from it, you need to have you know independent... Um, assessment of whether something truly is green mm. or not. Um, but I think the, the, the issue sort of raised in the question goes to the weakness of shipping historically. I mean, I personally, and I've said this to you in one of your forums, I think I said, and you, may, you got it exactly right, I, didn't, I said anyone who needs finance for a scrubber shouldn't be in shipping, and, and, and that's clear what it means. I didn't say you shouldn't do it, and we will finance scrubbers for our best clients if they, if they, if they wish us to. I'm not taking a, a position on that in that sense, but I think scrubbers are a little bit like sort of the Y2K issue. It's a, it's a sort of 20th century problem caused by a weak industry conforming to poor regulation. Mm. And in a way, people will look hopefully at something like the Poseidon principles to start looking forward instead of instead of looking back. But what we also want to do through the Global Maritime Forum is to say to the wider regulatory environment, we have an industry here with so many different associations and trade bodies because of all the different sectors of shipping. Um, but we don't get listened to on capital. So the Baal Committee, for example, engages with the aviation working group, or if it's affected the aviation sector, no one talks to shipping. Now maybe, hopefully, through something like this, the Poseidon Principles Association, which hopefully will have 90% plus of the ECAs and lending banks in the next year or so, you know, maybe something like the Baal Committee will say, well, actually, here is a, a body um, that actually we can engage with to talk about capital issues and shipping. Because mm. it goes to your point, should there be capital relief? Well, if you talk to European banks facing Baal four, that's going to make shipping finance even more expensive. Mm. And so you'd have to say to the regulators, well, you're making it even more difficult to provide capital even for positive projects that may actually be helping, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. I think... If, if, as a result of this, we are helping put shipping in the same perspective as other industries that get a fairer and better hearing in other regulatory environments, then that's a good thing too.